Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord. Thank you for um, your love for us, God. Thank you, Father, that you have called each one of us as parents, God, and, and we need you. Father, we need you to come and help us. We can't do it on our own, and we just ask that you come and help us. Holy Spirit, you be the revealer of all things that we need to know with our children, Lord. And we just thank you, Father, for your plans for each of your people, God. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to real quick review. Remember last week we talked about the purposes of parenting. The first one, I'm going to see if y'all even remember. You are to be an image bearer. This isn't on there. The image bearer of God. Remember that? You were to one, the one to be the face of God. And what's our most important job to lead our children to Christ, and we're going to talk about that again tonight, is that that's our number one job, is to lead our children to Christ. What else matters? What else matters? And those of you that have older kids, you get this. Nothing else matters but that they go to heaven with us. When they're little, you think there's lots of big things, you know, well, they have to do this and they have to do this. No, I'm going to tell you. I've got adult kids, and my heart, my number one thing is that they go to heaven with me. And they are, because I have stood on the word of God, and that's why we're learning what to do and how to be parents. We're to be the doorkeepers of our home, remember? That was last week. We are to take dominion. We're not to be passive and just allow anything to come in, but we have to be the doorkeepers, Third thing, third purpose was we have to be the forerunner. We have to go ahead of the child and lead them. You say, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Not you get up and go to church and I'm going to lay here and watch MTV. No, we're to be the forerunner going before them. And then we are to be the reality equippers of our children. We're to equip them with for responsibility, consequences, and authority. And those are some of the things we're going to talk about tonight and to help them know about the realm of the spirit. Did any of y'all this week have to deal with the devil with your children? Someone I was reading that they um, went to pray for their child this morning and as they laid their hand on him, their son, and he's, he's a teenager, he said, the same place you laid your hand on my head, he said, I had a dream last night that a demon had his hand there. We're fighting a spiritual battle for our children, okay? And we don't have to be afraid because greater is he that's in us than anything in the world. But don't put your head in the sand and think, oh, well, it doesn't really matter, okay? All right, now we're going to talk this week about the three basic types of parenting. Now, we are building a foundation here. I know a lot of you are like, give me that rod, I need to spank my kids. <laughs> okay, I'm not telling you not to spank them. We're going to talk about that. But I want you, because it's been so out, we can go from one ditch of doing nothing to the other ditch of abuse, and we are building a foundation so that when someone says, why do you have that paddle, and you're surely not doing that with your child, you're going to have an answer, and you're going to be able to say, no, we are training our children, and you have a foundation. You're building your foundation of parenting. This one four-week class is not going to be the end all of you knowing it all. In fact, as I've been studying, I'm like, goodness gracious, I could speak for a year 
on this, and we may need to do a refresher every year. Y'all remind me, and we'll do that in the spring of every year so that, again, it's not like, you know, okay, well, one time I got healed and I never need it again. No, the devil's right there again to try to steal away the seed that's been planted. So we are building a foundation. We're going to get to next week the actual how-tos, okay, of discipline. This week we're going to talk more about you, the three basic types of parenting. The first one is authoritarian. I think if you just click, um, let's try, and then each thing on there will come in one at a time if all works well in life. Yes. Authoritarian. Now be careful as you write this one because there's another one that's going to sound like it. Authoritarian. T-A-R. I'm sorry, that's too small, isn't it? Can y'all see? All right, I'll make it bigger next week. My PowerPoint was not real cooperative today. It was stressing me out. This type of parenting is all about rules. All right, here's your blanks, rules. Discipline is strong-armed, allows no argument, and the parent remains in total control. That's authoritarian parenting. Everyone knows their place. And you know what? They're staying in it because they're afraid. There's a lot of fear in this type of parenting. However, children that are raised in this type of authoritarian home often grow up to be passive because they're afraid to say anything. They lack creativity, okay, because they're not allowed to be think on their own. They have to think what the parent tells them to think. They don't have initiative because, again, the parents told them, this is how we do everything, all right? And sooner or later, they tend to rebel because this type of parenting produces rebellion in children. It produces rebellion in children. Um, and I wanted to give you an example. We have some friends um, that grew up and their father was in the military, well, you can imagine as a military dad, he was old school. He had five boys, and they were, I mean, he would tell stories. When their daddy walked in the door after work, you better be in line. I mean, when they sat at the table, it was like they had to sit still. They had to, uh, everything was very stiff, very, uh, the dad told them everything to do and everything not to do. Well, let me give you a little history on those boys. Boy number one, before he even got out of his teens, they, he was, uh, now remember the dad's military, they're being stationed, it was the Air Force, all over the world. In fact, they were in the country of Turkey um, because there's an Air Force base there and the son got kicked off because, again, they tried to hold him down, hold him down, and finally he rebelled. He did a lot of bad things. Son number two, before he got out of his teens, he started into drugs. Son number three, or actually there was a daughter in there as well. She kind of did, I don't know her as well, kind of did the same thing. So there's four boys and one girl. Son number four, he started off in his teen years, got into drugs, got into alcohol, God eventually, now I will say the whole family is saved now. Son number, or number five child, same thing. But he started off early junior high. So again, this authori authoritarian parenting, kids will eventually rebel, okay? 
They'll either have so many emotional problems that they can't think for themselves and they're in counseling the rest of their life because their parent has so squashed them or they completely rebel and do nothing. And the sad thing is a lot of these parents say we're doing this because we're Christians. And so guess what that child does when they grow up and they rebel? It's not just against the parent, is it? They turn away from God. None of y'all raise your hands if you were raised like this, but you probably know someone, right? So in the Bible, there was a biblical example, Laban and his daughters. Now, let's think back. We don't have time to go to all of these, but um, you can go and look these up if you want. And this story spans Genesis 29 through 31. Um, Isaac was, uh, his father said, go and find a wife. Don't marry a Canaanite woman. Go and find a wife. So he goes to the land of his ancestors, his, where his dad told him to go. And he sees a beautiful girl named Rachel. And they instantly fall in love. And he goes to her dad and says, I want to work for you for seven years for your daughter, Rachel. The dad was an authoritarian dad. After seven years, guess what? He didn't get Rachel. Isaac didn't. The dad said, no, it's my way. You're going to marry the oldest daughter, even though he was not in love with her. And it caused heartache. If you read about the rest of the, the whole story, I mean, there was competition. And he had to, then Isaac had to work another seven years. He married the sister. Well, you can only imagine being married to two sisters, the competitiveness. And it went on. And they were the mothers of the 12 tri tribes of Israel. But... Again, that was an authoritarian type of parent, very much strong about the rules in control. Second kind of parenting. That's, here's one ditch, authoritarian. We're going to jump all the way to the other ditch over here, and that's the permissive parent. Permissive parenting. These parents want to be their child's best buddy, and they try to reason with them. That's their whole goal. Let's reason with our children, but are very weak on control. Y'all ever tried to reason with the three-year-old? <laughs> now, mommy said we have to be quiet because we're going in a restaurant. I don't think that that matters in the least to a three-year-old. How many of y'all have a three-year-old right now? Can you reason very much with them? No. No, there's not reasoning. If you've ever worked in those children's classes... I mean, reasoning does not work, okay, because we're dealing with things up here, and we're trying to make them on our level, and that just doesn't work. Permissive parents are always eager to snowplow the roads of life for their kids. What does that mean? Have you ever met those parents? You go to the classroom, and maybe they're, I love it, like when there's a science fair, and you go in, and you see, you know, here's the fifth grade work, and here's a fifth grade work, and then you see this one, and it is, it's completely, it's okay. <laughs> if you can get her settled, y'all can just stay right over there. Yeah. And then you go to the next one, and you see, and it looks like a college student's. Why? Do you think that fifth grader did it? No, we had a permissive parent, and they want to make it easy on their child, and they've stayed up till 2 o'clock the night before doing their child's project or doing their child's homework or writing their paper, things like that. So basically, this type of parenting lets the child be in authority and make their own decisions 
and it shields them from suffering any negative consequences because of those decisions. Shields them from suffering any negative consequences because of those decisions. They also give in to every want the child ever has because they do not want them to be in need of anything. Have y'all ever met parents like that? They're like, well, I never had this, so I want my kids to have it. So that child has everything. Now, they may not have money for groceries, but that child has the DS, whatever latest game, and they're permissive. They don't want their child to have to suffer at all. And let me tell you, I want my kids to, to have. I want to be good to my kids. But how many of y'all know there's some, there's some uh, good to be had from having to wait on things, right? And not have all the time. Think about it. When, uh, when Amanda was, when she turned, well, when she was a younger child in her grade, but when she got to ninth grade, most of her friends, they were older, and they started turning 15. In New Mexico, that's when you get to drive. Well, a lot of her friends at the junior high it was pretty amazing. You look out in that student parking area, they had brand new cars. Brand new. And they were not like the cheapest cars. They were brand new, nice cars. I don't even remember. There was a Mustang and a, a Tahoe. There were, I mean, 15, 15 year olds. They had nicer stuff than some of their parents. But these parents, they were permissive parents. They didn't want their child to have to suffer. It's almost like, you know, you know, also it leads into that whole, I didn't get it, so I'm going to leave, live my life through you. You know, you can have all this. But those same children, I will say, they grow up, and then what happens when, like, if it's a girl, then, you know, along comes her husband, and he can't, I mean, he's having to work two, three, four jobs to keep her at that lifestyle that her parents um, had her at. We can't be permissive parents. This type of per parenting is propelled by guilt. Guilt. This could be from a lot of things, but I'm going to tell you the things I've seen. Maybe by the way that child was conceived, and there is no judgment coming from me. But a lot of times... We may think, well, you know, either I got pregnant out of wedlock, I, I had them very young, I had them old. I mean, I've seen both ends of the spectrum. Maybe you're not married to their father. Maybe they've been through abuse. And so we feel bad for them, so we want to be permissive. We want to give them whatever they want so that we don't feel guilty. And again... Nothing is going to take away the guilt of anything we've done except Christ. And so if you are suffering under that, we need to let Christ come in and change our hearts. Again, we can't change the past. If you're divorced, if you're not married to the person that is the father of, or the mother of your children right now, you know what? There's forgiveness for if you're part of whatever, and from this point on, there's grace. And grace, you know what it is? It helps us to be what we can't be in ourselves. We can rest in God and he will help us. So whatever the situation, don't be led by guilt. That's never a good um, thing to be led by guilt with your children. 
Um, also, this could also be, remember, the parent, maybe they came from this ditch. Their parents were very authoritarian, and they said, I'll never treat my kids like that. So what do they do? They go over here to this ditch. And then they let them run, run, you know, chaos all over because they're not going to be like their parents. Um, this also produces rebellion in children and does not teach them proper authority, obedience, or self-control. Um, there's a, a girl who comes to our church some, and I met with her, and I thought she was a lot older than she was. She was 15, but honestly, I thought she was 18. I thought she was a senior in high school. Number one, she looks older, but number two, because of everything she has. She has a brand new car. She's not even, um, doesn't even have her license and all these things. And she, she began to tell me some of her story. Well, she has a very sad story. She lost her mother and she has a grandmother who wants to make up for things. And her grandmother just buys things. And the night I was going to meet with her, it was kind of late. And I said, well, you need to, like, call your grandma and ask. And she said, no, she lets me do whatever I want. And I said, no, you call her and you tell her what we're doing. Because, again, that's not good. So letting your kids do whatever they want is never good for them. Don't be permissive. And the biblical example, if you go and look at 1 Samuel 2, this is the story of Eli. And Eli was one of the priests. And Eli was a very good man, but his downfall was that he had these sons and he did not discipline them. In fact, if you go and read through the whole story, it's really sad. And two of his sons died because this was in the days of the Ark of the Covenant and God gave them all these directions. You do it exactly like this because God's presence was literally right there with them and he told the priests you do it like this and this and this and those sons because again they weren't disciplined they were not taught proper authority so they thought it doesn't matter what god says they went and they did what they wanted it said they took a uh, different fire than what they were supposed to and they died on the spot and I'm not saying that over your kids, but I'm telling you, if we don't teach them proper authority, life is going to teach them, right? All right. The third kind of parenting that is the good kind that we want you to be is authoritative. Authoritative. Okay, and it's A-U-T-H-O-R-I-T-A-T-I-V-E. Authoritative parenting. All right, this is a godly balance between the two extremes, okay? We're not in the ditch either way. We're right in the middle. And we're going to go over each of these things. A parent who is authoritative, the first one, develops consistent loving limits. Limits. The children know, here's my limits. Also, one of my favorite words Boundaries, okay? Limits could be boundaries. If you haven't read the boundaries book, you should read it. I, should, I tell people I should own stock in it because I've given so many copies away. Because it's about having healthy boundaries so we can have healthy relationships in our lives. The second thing, it provides the child with decision-making opportunities. And we're going to talk about that. Decision-making opportunities, Third thing, it holds the child accountable. Holds the child accountable. I'll try not to stand in front of it so you can see. The fourth thing, 
It lets reality be the teacher. Have y'all ever been taught by reality as an adult? Yeah, it's better to learn those lessons when we're children. The next thing authoritative parenting does, it conveys respect and love that enhances their self-esteem. Respect and love enhances. How many of y'all want your kids to feel good about themselves? Yes, absolutely. We want them to have a healthy self-esteem. And next, it emphasizes communication between parent and child. Very important. If you can't talk to your kids when they're little, you're probably going to have a hard time the older they get. And then the last thing, it stresses the relationship between parent and child, not just the set of rules, but the relationship. It's always relationship over rules. It's never, it's not get rid of the rules, but there's, there are rules, but there's always the relationship above that. Here's the example. Think about the story um, when Jesus, this is in Luke 2, when Jesus was growing up. It tells us when he was born, and then we know about when he went into ministry, and there's really only one story in the middle there. And the story was when he was about 12, they left their town and they went to Jerusalem and they were going to go do the sacrifice and visit the temple and all that. And it was a huge caravan of their whole family. Well, they all load up to leave. If any of y'all have ever gone on a trip with a big family, y'all have a big family. It's kind of like Home Alone. That, you know how Home Alone, it's like crazy and, you know, get in the car. And so Joseph and Mary gather all their people in there if they have any animals and they're all going on this trip and they leave and they start home and three days later they look around and say, oh, wait a minute, where's Jesus? And he was 12 at the time. Well, any of y'all have a 12-year-old? Would you be worried? Yeah, three days by themselves? So they turn back around, okay? They don't have the airplane like they do on Home Alone to fly back. They turn around and they go back into the city. So I'm assuming by this time, it's like five to six days later. And Jesus was in the temple and he was talking with, okay? It doesn't say arguing. He was teaching. He was going back and forth with the religious leaders of the day. And I love it. I went back and read it and it talked about Mary, his mom. And she pretty much was like, where have you been? What are you doing? And he told her, he said, don't you know, I had to be about my father's business. But I can tell you, he did not say it in a ugly way. But right after that, it says, and then he went with them. And it said, and then he grew in wisdom and stature. Jesus, yeah, Again, it was about, the rule was, you stay with us, right? You don't leave. Like when we're in a store, you don't walk away from me. But again, relationship went above the rules when the circumstances warranted it. But, but he was obedient and he went with her. But she didn't beat him right there in the middle of the temple. Okay? Because there was something more than the rules at that moment. Y'all see the difference there? Okay, we're going to give you the, the uh, this is the definition for discipline. It means training to ensure proper behavior, order and control, calm 
controlled behavior. Oh, doesn't that sound good? Those of you with preschoolers or teenagers, calm, controlled behavior, conscious control over lifestyle. There's one for teenagers. Conscious control over lifestyle. Punishment is one of the definitions. Or to teach somebody obedience. That's very enlightening when you look at all those things that discipline means. And next week, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures. When I started going through, oh my goodness, Proverbs, it's like book after book after book about disciplining your children. And we're going to go over those next week. Um, What children need today, let me tell all of you, they don't need perfect parents because nobody's perfect. They need good parents. And each one of you can be good parents. A good parent is, among other things, one who allows him or herself a margin of error. Because I'm going to tell you again, we are not perfect. We will never be perfect. Now, we should have a perfect heart. And that means that our heart should always be to do the right thing and to honor God. But we always, we need to allow ourselves a margin of error. Are any of y'all your worst critic? You don't really need anybody else to get onto you because you get onto yourself when you make mistakes, especially those of you that tend to perfectionism. All right. At the heart of this real life parenting is reality discipline. It's a consistent, decisive, and respectful way for parents to love and discipline their children. We're going to keep going. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. This is where we find this basis for reality discipline. And we read this last week. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is just and right. Honor, esteem as value and precious your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that all may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, and that could be mothers too, Do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resentment, but rear them tenderly in the training and discipline and the counsel and admonition of the Lord. You could say that reality discipline is how God helps us face life, right? That's what he does for all of his children. Because again, we're we're children too, under God. You're a parent over your children, but we are children as well. Godly parenting means treating your children the way God treats us. We talked about that last week, his children. He lovingly helps us make wise decisions about the realities of life. When you use the concepts of reality discipline, You might as well get set now, guys. Your children aren't always going to make the right decisions. Did any of you, were you perfect growing up? No. Even the kids, you know, and we're going to, the last week, okay, next week we're going to talk about the how-tos. The next week, the last week, we're going to talk about the differences in personalities and then the differences in, like, firstborn Middle and last born children or only children, there's, that makes a huge difference, okay? But there are no perfect children. I don't care how good you think they are, they're not perfect, okay? And you need to give him or her the freedom to fail. That's very important. You have to give them the freedom to fail. But 
You believe that your child will make more and more wise decisions the older that they get as they become accountable, responsible, through self-discipline. All right? Remember, what's our number one goal of parenting? To lead our children to Christ. Okay? How do we do this using reality discipline? This is what we're going to end with today. Number one, be authentic. Be authentic. You must be authentic. The key to this reality discipline concept uh, is action. The key to this reality concept is supposed to be is, I don't know, put action. That's bothering me. Action, not just words, right? Action, not just words. Does that, ever, does that bug you about people when they're big talker, Betty Crocker, out of their mouth? But then they're not lining that up with how they live. You don't have much respect for them, do, do you? So we need to be authentic. Children hear a lot of words about God at church. They hear a lot of words about God in your home. But what is it that they see you doing? And you know, the biggest thing that turns people off from the church is what? Hypocrisy. I mean, when they say, man, those Christians, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. There's a lot of people that don't go to church because they think we're one way in church. We're saying one thing out of our mouth, but we're doing something else. And with our children, we need to be authentic, okay? When I free, that means that when we have problems, when we make mistakes, we admit it to them. When I freely admit my humanness to my children, I am taking advantage of an ideal opportunity to teach them about dependence upon the grace of God. That's where we all need to be, is dependent on the grace of God. When I admit to my kids I don't have all the answers, okay, and I pray with them and I talk to them, they see me depending on God for what I need. And that's a huge thing. Remember, we're supposed to model. We're supposed to say, follow me as I follow Christ. So when we're authentic. Now, I'm not telling you go and smoke pot in front of them and say, oh, well, you know, forgive mommy for doing this. No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that when you make a mistake, don't try to act like you didn't. Be authentic. When you're sad about something, Again, there's a line here. You don't want to drag your kids and make them drag them if you're suffering with depression. But you know what? Sometimes there may be something bothering you, and you need to say, Mommy's sad, and I need Jesus to help me with this. Daddy's having a hard time. We, you know, we're going to ask Jesus to help us with our money this month or whatever it is. We need to be authentic. All right? The second thing is be approachable. This is using reality discipline. Be approachable. Your children don't need to view you as perfect and never making any mistakes. You know why? They're going to value you more knowing, man, they've been through the same thing that I have. Okay? And that doesn't mean they have to experience everything the way you did. Sometimes, hopefully, they'll learn by wisdom and not have to do all, make all the mistakes you did. When they come to you in this way, know, they'll know you're going to listen and not judge them, and they will not have a problem approaching you with problems and struggles they're facing. I know when I was a teenager, I was the fourth 
of four girls. And I, honestly, by the time I came along, I think my parents were just tired. <laughs> Literally. My first sister was pretty good. She got married young. The next two sisters, especially number two, put them through hell, literally. You, I can't even begin to tell you all that she did. Sister number three was right on that same thing. I was not an angel. But my parents, by that time, I think were pretty tired. And I didn't go and tell them anything. Plus, they were kind of old school. You didn't talk about anything. I mean, they never told me about anything. Nothing. The changes of life, boys, there was no discussion. It, they were just, that's just how people were then. But I want to be approachable. I want my kids to come and say, hey, there's this kid at school and he is doing this. Again, do you want him to come to you or to their buddy in all of his 10-year-old wisdom? And the home life he or she may have. You, you want to be approachable so they'll come to you. It's sad to see so many parents refuse out of pride or selfishness to let their children know that they do have flaws and they don't have it all together. Here's your, on your paper. When parents are brave enough to share their flaws with their children, they serve as beautiful models of what it means to depend on God. See, when you're open and transparent before God and your children, you're telling them, I may be taller than you, I may be older than you, but I still need God to work in my life, and I still need him. Okay? Perfect heart, but we're never going to have be perfect. We're always going to make mistakes. Third way to use reality discipline to draw your kids to Christ is to pray with your children. This is one of the best ways to show, not just tell, them about Christ. Did y'all catch that? You know, there's show and tell at school. We don't just show our children. Okay, here's a Bible. Here's what you do. We love our Bible. No, we, we need to show them. When they get up in the morning, they should see you. Oh, mommy's look, he's reading the Bible. When they go in your room, they might see you praying. When they know that maybe there's a problem with the family, they should know. You know what? We're all going to pray together about this. They don't need to know every detail because they're children. But they can know on a certain level that, you know what? We're having some struggles, and we're going to pray, and we're going to believe God. And you get your Bible out, and you find those scriptures of, for that situation of whatever it is. You're not just showing them. Okay, it's show and tell. You're going to model it in front of them. Pray with them. Take them into your arms. One of the sweetest things you can do is either, and it could be both. It doesn't have to be either, especially before they go to school. Man, when they go to school, guys, it's crazy. One of our women came to me. She's a grandma on her church Sunday, and she came with tears in her eyes, and she said her 13-year-old grandson was being bullied at school. And the bully had thrown him to the ground on Friday and separated her grandson's shoulder. And he's so afraid. I'm telling you, we need to pray for our children before we send them off into the world. Again, and we've got to let them know greater is he that's in us. That we don't have to be afraid. Okay, and then at night, don't just say, go to bed. Go in there with them. Pray with them. Is there anything that you is bothering you or anything you have 
teach them to pray. Amanda and Matt, I'll say this, when Cade was two or three, when he was two, and I, I don't know how they did it because I, it just shocked me. They taught him a confession to pray. Um, I should have had... Uh, he... I should have had it written out. It was pretty amazing. And then they, so they taught him and it was, I don't know how many words. It was a lot of words. And then they taught him after he got that, when he was about four, they added on a second part of it. I'm a lead. I could almost repeat it because they used to stay one night a week with me before they went to school. And we, they would say, say your confession. And so they would say, I'm a leader and not a follower. I'm above and not beneath. Um, everything I put my hand to do prospers. Uh, I am a man of God, and Taylor would say, I'm a woman of God. And they taught them to say these things. So good. Think about when they, when we lay them down at night, again, it takes time, and I know you're tired, but what's your job? Right, to lead them to Christ. That's number one. Take the time to pray with them and let them know this is why we serve God. Fourth thing, allow godly freedom. The home should be a place where children can learn to make decisions about their lives. We're going to go a few minutes over, but it's okay. I'll be done in about five minutes. And learn to accept the consequences of their decisions, the good and the bad. They need to make choices. Life is all about choices. Now, I'm not telling you to let them to be um, in control of the family because there is order. Guess what? Daddy is the, if there's a mommy and a daddy, daddy's the one, okay? Then mama, then the kids. We're not telling you you put them above. Now, God's up there, of course. Y'all know that. I should, that go, goes without saying. But if we go back to our definition of discipline, we are training them in proper behavior, training them. How are they going to know how to make a decision when they're 16 and their buddy says, do you want some of this marijuana when we didn't teach them when they were five and their little friend said, do you want to pick this flower that we're not supposed to? We've got to teach them how to make choices. And it is age appropriate choices. Okay. Now, when they're three and they want to wear a purple sock and a blue sock, is that something that you could live with? Probably. It's not life-changing. Bugs you, probably, but it's life-changing. I laughed at Pastor Aaron's little son, Jude. He's, he's three. He just turned three. He, came, he comes down the hall tonight. If y'all see him, you'll laugh. He has on um, green sweatband thingies. Uh, Curtis called them gauntlets because it's from one of the superhero guys. But, you know, he's some, and he had on, I think, boots and then shorts, and you could tell. They probably gave Jude some, some control. He probably got to make some of his decisions. And again, is it probably the most color-coordinated outfit? No. But if we'll start them off when they're young, okay, these are some choices you can have. Now, here's, here is something. Let me see if I'm caught up with my notes. We don't want them to be robots where we tell them every little thing to do. We don't want to be in the other ditch where they get to make every decision. Okay? Here's an example. Bedtime. You're in control. You don't want your six, seven-year-old to say, no, I'm not tired. I'm going to stay up. 
Because you know what? The reality is that they have going to have to get up at 7 o'clock the next morning for school, and they don't realize that if they don't get that amount of sleep going to bed at 9 o'clock, that they're going to be tired that next morning because they're not old enough to know that. You're old enough to know that because you want to go to bed. <laughs> they're not, so we enforce that. But the next morning, a good choice for a little guy is maybe you have three kinds of cereal. Okay, Charlie, do you want Honey Nut Cheerios? Do you want Frosted Flakes? Or do you want um, Lucky Charms? Of course, they're going to pick the sugar, probably. But here's, the, here's how reality discipline works. You give them the choice, but remember, they face the consequences. What happens, have you ever had one? two or three-year-old, you pour the cereal, and then they're like, no, I don't want that. Well, you know what? The consequence is you made that choice, and you get to eat the cereal whether you want to now or not because it's already poured, and you made that choice. And you make them follow through when it's those small things so that when they get to big things, is, which is when they're teenagers, then they've learned those skills of making good choices. And remember, we allow them to fail. But we want them to fail when the consequences are like this, not wait until the consequences are like this. If any of you were, uh, had permissive parents, maybe you did that, that you weren't taught how to make those consequences when you were little or choices so that when you got bigger, you made better choices. And some of us have had to learn the hard way. And it's not a nice way to learn, is it? No. So we want them to have godly freedom, okay? There must be, this is on your paper, a training process to help them learn to make wise decisions. We want freedom and accountability. That's reality discipline. We give them freedom within boundaries for their age, age-appropriate freedom, we should say, okay? And then... But we also make them be accountable, okay? If you, if you let, allow them to do something, make them accountable. In fact, um, I knew somebody that their child wasn't getting up for school because they had trained them that mommy would go and wake them up, and then they wouldn't get up the first time. Then mommy would go back and wake them up, and they wouldn't get up the second time. And after the fourth and fifth time, mommy finally got tired of every day doing this, so she said, tomorrow morning, we're starting a new thing, and you're going to have an alarm clock, and you're going to get up on your own. And, of course, that child thought, ha, huh, we'll see about that. The alarm goes off. They didn't get up. He misses the school bus. So she made him walk to school. She followed him in her car. She made him walk to school and get there late and suffer the consequences of school for being there late. That's reality discipline. Did it hurt him physically? Probably not. He was probably tired. But that next morning, you know what? He probably got right up when that alarm went off because he thought, I, I want to ride that school bus. All right, we're going to finish up. Um, and the reason, and we're going to talk more about this next week, about why we want our kids to listen to our voices. Think about these choices. If we teach them in the small decisions, then when it comes to the big decisions, number one, biggest decision you ever make in your life is Christ. Second biggest decision is marriage. And we've all made some good and bad mistakes in those ways. Let's start them off 
on good decisions when they're small. So as those decisions carry more weight, they're going to be in much better shape to make those. All right. Last one, or close to the last one, God is in authority over parents, but he gives them freedom and love. Parents are in authority over children, and children should also have freedom and love. This, this should be a reflection, our homes should be a reflection of God's love, all right? Some parents, it makes them nervous because they like control. And I'm not telling you because I will tell you, I, I kind of like control. That's something that I like. But I'm going to tell you, especially when you have children with two different personalities, which I did, two very different personalities, um, you couldn't always be in control. And we, wa we don't want to squash them. We want them to grow up and be who God's called them to be. Then the last thing as parents, we must realize that our job is to train our children guide them to a relationship with Christ, and then set them free to become who God has called them to be. They belong to him anyway. And I have an example for you. And Carrie, you can bring those to me. Oh, okay. Hold up. And I wanted to find one, but it was too late this afternoon. Think about your kids and how you control and decisions. Think about a spring. You know a spring like that's on a garage door or on something? When your children are little, when they're this age, you know what you do? You hold that spring tight. Because you know what? At any moment, they could run out into the street. They could step out into this parking lot and run in front of a car, which I'm always trying to avoid. Danny took off the other uh, week from Rich, and I was like, what? <laughs> she ran out. We keep them like this because they don't have good decision-making skills. But as they get older, we release it a little more. When they go to elementary, we start giving them some choices. When they go to junior high, we release it a little more. Now, what happens if they make a bad decision? If it's a pretty bad one, we draw it back in. We gradually start releasing. When they get to high school, we release a little more. You know why we do that? So that when they get out on their own and they're young adults and it's time for them to leave home. Have you ever met someone that left their parents home and went crazy? Went to college and became a different person, moved out, and you're like, who are they? Because that spring their parents had kept them so tight and not taught them to make decisions. And then when they got that opportunity, it was like a spring that was let go like this. We want to gradually release that, okay? That's what we want to do. So let me pray before we finish. Father, we come to you, Lord, and we ask that you help us this week to become the parents, God, that our children need us to be, Lord, that you would help us to have discernment, God, on these areas of choices, Father, of giving them decisions when it's good, Lord, and how much to give them. And, Lord, that we do not shield our children from the consequences of the decisions that they make, Lord. Help us, God, to put our children in your hands, Lord, so they can become who you have called them to be. In Jesus' name, amen.